0: For the first time ever, I am doing two podcasts this week because right now I'm going to dive into, for my Florida State fellow fans, Willie Tiger was just fired, and we are going to get into what went wrong and talk about the coaching search. Let's get into it.
1: And hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. Fourth and five, the national championship on the They won't catch him, I don't believe. Fires to the end zone! Touchdown! He's going for the corner! He's got it! There goes Davis! Oh my god! Davis! It's called! Caught. It's caught! It's called! Caught. Oh, Is it. that a good game or what?
0: What's up everybody? little extra emergency podcast here this one's going out to all my fellow knolls typically i just talk college football in general and be as objective as possible this will still be an objective podcast but this is all about florida state the team i care about the team that i grew up rooting for and their new coaching search and basically it's crazy because for only the third time in the last like 40 plus years The florida state job is available and i think a lot of people need to realize how crazy that is because most of the top five to ten jobs in college football you know your alabamas your your floridas the florida states oklahoma's your ohio states your uscs there's been a lot of turnover at a lot of those different programs and florida state you know they had bobby bowden from 1974 all the way up until 2009 and the coach who took over after him was already on staff so that job never really became available in the transition from Bowden to Fisher and then you had Jimbo Fisher from 2010 to 2017 and then it was crazy then you know at the end of 2017 that the Florida State job was up four grabs and Florida State went in and hired Willie Taggart and in less than two football seasons He has been terminated. His contract was terminated on Sunday. I was actually in Tallahassee for the Miami game. Me and my fiance went up. It was our third Florida State game that we attended this year. It was actually my first Miami game, which is crazy because I was a student at Florida State for a couple years there and missed the one Miami game, and we were on the road the one year. I didn't make it, and growing up, you know, my dad and I went to a lot of games. I saw Florida State Florida a couple times, but just never really had gone to a Miami game. Obviously, I've seen tons of them on television and I've watched all the old classics you know done that a bunch so it was for me personally I was really looking forward to going you know when I go to a football game I'm always able to remove what's going on outside the program and just kind of get in the moment of that game that's why I went to the Virginia game this year which I talked about up in Charlottesville because one you know we had never been or I had never been to Charlottesville and Florida State does not go there very often at all anymore and Virginia was pretty good this year, so I thought the venue would be pretty exciting. It was a night game, and it was. You know, I talked about how that was basically outside of Clemson, one of the most electric road ACC games I've been to. Keep in mind, I've never been to Blacksburg or NC State yet, some of these other kind of electric ACC schools. But of all the ACC road games I've seen Florida State play in, or just road games in general that I've seen Florida State play in, that was one of the most exciting venues that I, that I've been to and uh went to the nc state game and went to this miami game and i didn't have a chance to talk in the pod last week but this miami game i had been thinking all week long was going to be the biggest game of coach taggart's career and it was definitely diaz's biggest game of his opening season not that he's on the hot seat or anything in his first year but both florida state and miami went into this game four and four and if you look at what had happened to florida state last year, and at the beginning of this year, you knew, or at least I knew and thought, that this game was going to be the game that decided Willie Taggart's career. Now, I did not think that if Florida State lost, they would actually make the decision that week. I thought that if Willie was going to get terminated this year, it was going to come at the end of the year, regardless. But I still thought it all played down and was going to be based on this Miami game, because if Florida State beat Miami and they jumped to five and four, then I'm fairly confident they could go play a tough game on the road at Boston College and win, even though they haven't really won a road game under Taggart since the Louisville game in year one. And then I was obviously confident we were going to beat Alabama State, and then I had no confidence we would beat Florida, but I was hoping, hey, maybe we keep it at least closer than the Clemson game was. We lose. We finish 7-5, and five, go to a bowl game. If we win that bowl game, we're 8-5, and five. and going from 5-7... and seven, to eight and five is a pretty big improvement. And with Florida State being the program it is, recruits would have responded to that, especially because Willie Taggart is a great recruiter. There's no debating that. Now he wasn't able to show that at Florida State because when you don't win games, recruits just don't come. It's it's really that simple. And I think if we could have improved to eight and five, We would have held on to all the guys that were currently in the class and probably could have stolen one or two maybe three other big guys maybe from some of the other florida schools or just other schools in general right maybe the transfer market became more intriguing to those guys in the portal if they're looking at florida state but if we lost this miami game again i didn't think that we would fire him the next day but if we lost the miami game I had no faith we would go on the road and beat Boston College the next week. Absolutely no faith that that would happen if we lost the Miami game. I mean, I don't even know if it would have happened if we beat Miami, but if we lost the Miami game, which we did, I had no faith we would go beat Boston College, and if you lose the Boston College game after the Miami game, your ceiling is now 5-7, and seven again. And that's just not going to cut it at Florida State, guys. I mean, we'll get into it in a little bit of if it was just firing a coach after two years. I I think it is. And then a lot of people were like, well, they didn't even let him finish the two years. And that's because of where college football is in today's day and age with the early signing period. And Florida State didn't want to make the same mistake they made last coaching cycle, you know, where you lost a guy right after the Florida game. And you're scrambling to get a guy in there before the signing day period, this new early signing day, which has been really a shakeup in college football, not just in recruiting, obviously, but when it comes to hiring coaches at the end of seasons, right? I mean, it's just, it throws a huge, huge obstacle in there last minute, and scrambling happens, and teams overpay for coaches, and they get flustered, and they make mistakes. And I think looking back on it, that's what happened to Taggart here. So let's go back in time and talk about 2017. 2017, Florida State enters the year, number three in the nation, and we have that epic game with Alabama. Now, I personally think Florida State was a little overranked going into that game. I thought we were a top 10 team going into that year. But I did not think we were a top four team going into the year, at least. And that Alabama game was pretty competitive until about three minutes left in the third quarter. So Alabama finally scored another touchdown. They begin to pull away. Then in the fourth quarter, we make turnovers back-to-back. Then, of course, Francois has the knee injury midway through the fourth quarter where his season comes to an end. And Florida State's forced to ride out the rest of the year with true freshman James Blackman. And, you know, Florida State then plays NC State, who was a pretty good team in 2017. And they played about as good as they could, considering that they had a true freshman quarterback that was never expecting to play that year, got thrown into the whims, this is James Blackman, and meanwhile, he's like 102 pounds. It looks like you know, just skin and bone. The offensive line is was not very good since 2016. The offensive line has not been very good. Now, no one cared as much because we won an Orange Bowl in 2016, and in 2017, our offense still made some plays with receivers and quarterbacks. We had Kim Akers had a breakout freshman year, but if you remember 2016, Francois was on his ass all the time. I mean, that was one of the things that he got praised for. One of the only things Francois got praised for at Florida State was that his redshirt freshman year, 2016, he was taking a beating all the time and still hanging in there and still making plays. 2017, you know, we lose the NC State game and then we go into the Miami game thinking this is our last chance to salvage something for the season. Miami's ranked. And in my opinion, that was the last game that Jimbo Fisher truly coached his heart out in. You know, he looked really into it, the team looked into it, and we lost to a pretty decent Miami team. A Miami team that won 10 games, a Miami team that had a shot to go to the playoff. And then they went to the Orange Bowl and they they lost that game to Wisconsin. But in that moment, following the Miami loss, you knew that the season was pretty much over. And when you have a bunch of future NFL guys, or at least a bunch of guys that think they're future NFL draft picks, on your roster... And all of a sudden, you're not even alive for, forget the playoff, but you're not even alive for New Year's Six Bowl. You're not really alive for your own conference, your own division. Those guys, they are reining in. They quit, you know? This isn't Boston College, Syracuse, you know, NC State even, where like, you have guys that will battle all season so they can finish third in the conference, fourth in the conference, so that they can get to six wins, make a bowl. At Florida State, guys don't do that, and that's an unfortunate thing that I've talked about before, and that just goes back to recruiting and, like, the promises you make and if you're unable to deliver, but, you know, that season, Florida State had Derwin James, right? We had Auden Tate. We We had a lot of NFL guys on that team, and they were getting blown out by teams like Boston College. Played close with Alabama. Later in the year, we went to Clemson and almost beat them, right? A playoff team, Clemson team, but... We just got sloppy against teams like Louisville. Teams like Boston. Boston College beat us, I think, 35-3. to 3. Boston College. I mean, this team just flat out quit. And then we do rally. We beat a really bad Florida team at the end of the year. And the next day, Jimbo Fisher is gone. So all of a sudden, the Florida State job is available. And Florida State scrambles around. And keep in mind, at this point, I had transferred back home to the Pacific Northwest, where I'm from, Oregon, and was attending the University of Oregon. So my last game as a Florida State student was actually the Rose Bowl, where we lost to Oregon. And then my last year at University of Oregon, Florida State comes in and takes Willie Taggart. So Taggart had been the coach at Oregon that year, and record-wise wasn't that good. I went to a lot of Duck games that year, obviously, and... They were a lot better than the year before. Meanwhile, remember, Oregon was 4-8 and eight in 2016, and they had fired Mark Helfrich. Willie Taggart comes in from South Florida, where he had had a lot of success in the, his four years there. Not the first two years, but he turned it around. And he comes in, and he's doing a good job. He had a really good staff at Oregon. He had Mario Cristobal, the offensive coordinator. had Jim Levitt on the defense. And he was doing a good job overseeing the program. He went 7-5 and five that year, but there was a big stretch of games there where they didn't have Justin Herbert. And his record with Justin Herbert was like 4-1 and one or 5-1 and one or something like that. So a lot of it was based on that. But the main thing why Florida State fans and the administration at Florida State thought he was going to be a, a potential home run hire was because this guy was a great recruiter. And Willie and really, Taggart is a great recruiter. There's too much evidence for that to deny it. This guy was about to bring a top 10 class to the University of Oregon. Chip Kelly never did that. Mike Pilotti never did that. University of Oregon had never seen a recruiting class like the one Willie Taggart was about to bring in. And remember, Oregon does not have a good hub of in state talent, they just don't. So they have to go into California. They have to try to pick up the leftovers from Florida. Well, Taggart wasn't getting leftover guys from Florida. He was getting some big recruits from the state of Florida to commit to the University of Oregon. And this is a guy who had never been in the Pac-12 before other than as an assistant coach with Harbaugh at Stanford. So as a Florida State fan, you're looking at this like, wow. This guy, Willie Taggart, is a massive Florida State fan, loves the program. It's his dream job. And he's been a great recruiter everywhere he's been. If we give him the seminal logo on his hat when he goes in to recruit, it should be a slam dunk. He should be able to flip this roster like that. And that was the goal. And obviously that, that didn't really pan out because when you go 5-7 and seven your first year, you're not able to do that well. But when Willie Tagger did come in, I think we got him like four or five days after Jimbo left. It, it all happened so fast. I remember telling all my friends at Oregon, like, you know, because I'm listening to the radio down in in Florida and and what everyone's saying, and I knew they were coming after Tiger. The Oregon fans thought he would never leave after one year, and I'm telling them, like, no, guys, he's from Florida. This is his dream job. Like, he, would, he wouldn't be able to turn it down. And a lot of them didn't believe me. Sure enough, he's gone. They're pissed off. Rightfully so. Coach leaves you after one year. Some people understood it, but Oregon fans were pretty mad. And Willie Taggart shows up at Florida State, and people immediately think it's going to be an instant turnaround. He says all the right things. He's talking about the Bowden days, the dynasty, and how he want to get back to that. But immediately, some things went wrong. Number one, Taggart wanted to bring his entire staff from Oregon, and Oregon wasn't having it. That's why they overpaid for Mario Cristobal. Now, that's working out for Oregon, but at the time, the money they gave Cristobal, a completely unproven head coach, was just a little, okay, it was more of like a, you're not taking this guy, Willie. University of Oregon also ended up paying Jim Levitt to just not coach football at all, right? It was in his clause that we will basically pay you money, it was was over a million dollars, I'm pretty sure, to just not go coach at Florida State, to just take the year off. So when Willie Taggart shows up at Florida State, he's kind of scrambling last minute to put together a staff, and he put together a terrible staff that first year. A lot of these looked like good hires, but as we know now, they're just not good hires at all. First off, he had a lot of his home buddies that are just part of his staff at the lower position level ranks, and those guys, I just don't think they knew what they were doing ever. So that was a mistake. The defensive coordinator we went after was Harlan Barnett. And when we first went after him, you thought, okay, he's the Michigan State co-defensive coordinator. Michigan State has had amazing defenses under him. Well, the problem was he was the co-defensive coordinator, and I didn't realize this at the time, but it makes a lot of sense now. Apparently, when we went in there to take him, Michigan State didn't even counteroffer to try to keep him. They just kind of let him go out the door, and it's pretty obvious why now. He's just not that good, and we hired, I think, uh, the Michigan offensive line coach who was also returning home to Florida State. He was a disaster. And an offensive coordinator, even though Willie was the, the play caller and offensive coordinator, you know, lethal simplicity. Fans loved that term in the beginning because they were sick of Jim Poe's complicated offenses and route running and all that stuff. But Walt Bell, just, I mean, the idea that that guy was ever wearing a Florida State hat with the title offensive coordinator, it's it's just embarrassing and it's beyond me. He leaves after one year, I'm pretty sure, because he was going to get fired, And he actually became the head coach at UMass, and I don't think they're doing any good. But just a terrible staff that first year. And I remember in 2018 going to the Virginia Tech game Monday night. It was the Labor Day game. Both teams were ranked, and there was a ton of hype. There was so much hype about Florida State going into 2018 because we were sold this fantasy that the roster was okay, We just had this bad thing happen with Jimbo at the end. And I think Taggart's first big mistake was a basic misunderstanding of what it takes to win at the highest level. You can do it at Western Kentucky. You can do it at South Florida, right? All you got to do is kind of recruit some athletes, let them run on inferior talent. This is the ACC. There's good athletes on every team. Louisville's got athletes, NC State has athletes. North Carolina has athletes. Obviously, Clemson is right up there with you, and they're well above you now, right? Miami has athletes. No matter what Miami's record has been over the last decade or so where they have failed to live up to their standard, they've always had NFL talent across that roster, especially on the defensive side. And Florida State does too. But you have to outcoach teams. I used to always tell Oregon fans back in the Chip Kelly days, That you're never going to win a national championship. You might run through that Pac-12 schedule, 10-2 every year, 11-1, maybe even go undefeated like they did in 2010, but you're never going to win a big bowl game against a good defense when they have time to prepare because there is no real game plan with that offense other than tempo, speed, and basically kind of just catching your opponent off guard. It's a daunting task if you're going back to the Chip Kelly days at Oregon and even Helfrich a little bit. It was a daunting task to ask any team to go into Autzen Stadium with one week to get ready and beat Oregon. Because Oregon did have some athletes on offense, and that offense was new and gimmicky, and it was really hard to stop. And if you look at Oregon's track record from 2009 to 2015, their little mini dynasty, right, with Chip Kelly, Helfrich, where they made a national title game, made some bowl games, won some Rose Bowls, and played for the national title again there at the end with Helfrich and Mariota. If you look at their entire track record, they pretty much won every single game by 17 or more points or they lost a close game. So all the close games they didn't win, outside of the Rose Bowl in 2011, outside of, I remember there was this one Civil War in 2013 and a couple sort of close games, but they either pulled away from you at the end and blew you out Kind of the way they beat Florida State in 2014 Rose Bowl, right? That game was close, and then all of a sudden Oregon does their thing. Turnover, score, turnover, score. Now the lead is daunting and you're trying to come back, but you can't do it, right? That was the Oregon formula. But anytime they ran into a good defense, see the 2009 Rose Bowl, the 2010 national title game, the 2011 regular season game against USC, the 2012 regular season game against Stanford, Right? The national title game against Ohio State, anytime they ran into a good coach defense that had time to get ready for them, they failed, right? 2010, they're averaging 40 plus points a game. They scored 19 points in the national title that year. So when Florida State brought in a guy who was going to run that style of offense, I really didn't like it because I never liked those offenses. To me, that's what programs who can't get superior athletes do as a way to try and keep up with them. And now we live in a day and age where everybody's running some sort of version of the spread, the tempo, right? Kendall Browse comes in. It's a lot different than like the Chip Kelly Oregon thing. It's not really read option based, but it's like air raid with tempo, right? And that was so different than what we were used to with Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher, every series was methodically dialing up plays from his ginormous playbook in his mind, right? And based on the defense you ran, he had a thing for that. Right? That's why in 2017, when we were pretty bad, we were still able to keep it close with teams like Alabama, Miami, Clemson. We lost those games, but they were close. Here comes Willie Tagger, and every time we play a really good team, we just get flat, blown out, run out of the stadium. So Willie Tiger didn't hire the right staff, didn't have a basic understanding of what it took to win at that level, because everybody else has athletes too. And he didn't understand how depleted the roster really was based on a Florida State standard. And I tell you, at that Virginia Tech game, I was kinda hoping that, you know, hey, maybe Virginia Tech's just really good. And it's Willie Taggart's first game and you can't judge much. But the thing that threw me off the most was when you looked at Willie Taggart, especially when I rewatched that game on television and watched the press conference, he looked shocked. Unfathomed that it was even possible that they just played that bad, that they got beat like that, that the offense couldn't really move the ball, right? And that's when I was like, oh, no, maybe this isn't going to work out, right? He doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. But it was game one. You put that behind you. You move on to the next week. Well, then the whole 2018 happened, and Florida State was terrible, 5-7. and seven. Every game they lost, they were pretty much uncompetitive in. Blown out by your rivals— Blown out by Notre Dame, blown out by NC State, Virginia Tech. And then you're like, okay, well, you can't fire a guy after one year, you know. And a lot of people realize that, hey, Jimbo Fisher left a mess. So, yeah, even though we were fooled into thinking it wasn't a mess, we kind of made excuses like, well, Jimbo left this huge mess. So it's not all on Taggart. But it doesn't matter what mess you inherit. I judge a coach based on, are you improving? I don't care if you took over Oklahoma or Ohio State, see Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley took over programs that were in great shape and they still improved them, which is why I judge them as good coaches. Ohio State looks better this year than they did the last couple years under Urban Meyer, Urban freaking Meyer, right? Those Urban Meyer, Ohio State teams had a little bit of defensive issues the last couple years. That's why they just, they missed the playoff with those, those upset losses where Iowa and Purdue kind of spanked them. And now they look better than they've ever been. This is the best Ohio State team I feel like I've seen in years. And Bob Stoops, the legend, and we'll talk about Bob Stoops in a minute, but Bob Stoops, the legend at Oklahoma, I think he was there 12, 13 years, had a great tenure, right? He was there from 2012 all the way up until 2016 and only won one national title, which is kind of the one thing that I think got away from him, but played for like three more, right, Always had his team winning 9 to 10 games, bare minimum, going to college football playoffs, going to Fiesta Bowls, Orange Bowls, you know, big game Sugar Bowls, and national title games. Well, he passes it off to Lincoln Riley, and they look better, right? So Riley and Ryan Day took over programs and made them better. If you look at guys that have taken over dumpster fires, yeah, they're not going to go win 10 games right away, but are they making those programs better? better than when they took them off look at louisville this year right they were two and ten last year they bring in a new staff and they immediately look better than last year they're not you know some nine win team this year probably won't even win eight games this year but they're probably going to a bowl game that's a drastic improvement drastic you could say the same thing about north carolina they went two and ten last year in comes mac brown instant turnaround So that's why there's no excuse for Florida State to not have improved. Florida State got worse from 2017 to 2018. That 2018 team was worse than 2017. And maybe the roster was a tiny bit worse. You know, you did lose some NFL guys. You lost Derwin James, Tavares McFadden on defense, right? But there was a lot of guys that came in. And, and, And Willie Tiger did salvage a decent recruiting class going into 2018, right? You know, you're talking about James Lawrence would be coming in. You're talking about some high-profile receivers coming in. Some guys that were committed to Oregon that flopped to Florida State, right? And it was just a disaster. So fast forward 2019, you hire Kendall Bryles, right? Big change in the offensive coordinator. And again, that's another thing that you're glad he made the hire, but Taggart, you're here to recruit and you're here to run an offense. Offense is supposed to be your thing, lethal simplicity, and you immediately give it up because it's not working out. So that's cause for concern. That's why I don't like Harlan Barnett. His specialty is defensive backs. And our defensive backs are one of the worst units on the field, even though they have a ton of talent. These are all four five-star guys that Alabama wanted, that Clemson wanted, that Florida wanted. And they're just underperforming. There's no guy I feel worse for than Levante Taylor. Levante Taylor is an NFL-caliber corner, okay? And he has gotten worse his junior and senior year because of lack of coaching he's not being coached up that's just the way it is look at levante taylor in 2017 the dude made plays pick sixes locked down corner in a lot of situations 2018 he doesn't look as good 2019 and he almost looks worse and i'm sure it's getting to his head right you're one of those guys that thought you were going pro in three years and now here you are in the middle of your senior year and You might have lost all your draft stock. It's it's terrible. But that's just the reality of the situation. So now let's get into was it just to fire Tiger? I think absolutely yes. Because of a couple of things. Nobody thinks that it's unjust to fire a coach after three years. But let's look at some of the recent coaches that have had this caliber of a job that were fired after three years. Jim McElwain at Florida was fired after three years, nobody complains about it. And I know he kind of gave him the excuse at the end there with his fake, you know, threat story. And that was kind of what gave Florida the excuse to just move forward with it and kind of fire him with cause and everything. But Florida wanted him gone. And I think they would have found a way to get rid of him even without that incident happening because they had digressed. But look at his first two years. They won their division. They played for an SEC championship. Florida State isn't even coming close to doing that in a super mediocre ACC. So if Florida is justified in firing a coach after three years, who won his division the first two years before falling off the rails, then I think Florida State is justified in firing a coach after two five, and 5-7 seasons. Obviously, we don't know if Florida State's going to finish 5-7 and seven this year, still an outside chance of making a bowl, but the the president and uh the guys making the decision at florida state came out yesterday and they said it didn't matter because six and six isn't good enough this is florida state and i talk about all the time how there's a lot of programs out there that don't realize who they are right i think tennessee nebraska are the two best examples they think they should be competing for the titles that they should get back to where they used to be but those programs to me don't have any right to think they should be back there because let's say take tennessee for example tennessee is in the sec where it's just crazy hard to win you're like the third or fourth biggest name in the conference arguably and you don't have a recruiting hotbed so it's just not the same job same with nebraska right there are no good recruits in nebraska right nebraska used to have the thing that they were on tv all the time everybody's on tv now nebraska is not going to come into texas into florida into the south into california and get all these guys that have offers from the alabamas the floridas the miamis the texas the uscs they're not going to take those guys they're only going to be able to get the leftovers in those states and that's even getting harder to do in the state of like florida for example because you got programs like ucf that are doing good and they're keeping guys and keeping them home so there's a lot of programs that think oh we, we can fire guys soon like we need to be doing this Florida state isn't one of those programs no, I don't think Florida State's a top three job. I don't think they're one of the greatest brands of all time, like some Florida State fans do. If you really think about it, Florida State's history is just one coach, and then they were able to rebuild with another coach after that and did get a title out of it. But Florida State isn't Ohio State. They're not Alabama, right? They're not really USC, although in recent history, yeah, they've been better than them, but historically they're not quite there to that level but about as close as you can be about as close as you can be they have a crazy good history right they've won three national titles in the last 30 years or so not not a lot of programs can say that oklahoma can't say that okay i don't even think no ohio state can't even say that right as far as the national titles in the 30-year window so they got that going for them and they're in the state of florida where the best recruits in the country are, especially as far as skill position players go. This is a job that the right coach comes in and wins immediately. Because I know Florida fans will disagree with me, but show me some extra titles and some stuff you have and and prove to me you're actually a better job. But Florida State and Florida are pretty much on par with how good of jobs they are. You've got to argue Florida's better because they have even more resources and more money than Florida State does, yet they have nothing to show for it. But Florida was even worse than Florida State in 2017. Florida went 4-8 in 2017. It was the second time they had done that this decade. And they hired Dan Mullen, who got out-recruited by Taggart, who up until literally yesterday was still getting out-recruited by Taggart. But guess what? He took a 4 win program and won 10 games last year. 10 games. Peach Bowl victory over Michigan. One year turnaround okay and then this year i know they just lost to georgia but they're looking at probably 10 wins again with an injured quarterback oh but the backup comes in and he's still good you know why because dan mullen because he's a quarterback guru kind of like when we had jimbo fisher and it didn't matter who we had at quarterback because he was a quarterback whisperer and i don't want to sound like i'm defending anything jimbo did there at the end it's it's terrible the way he left that program not never going to get me to change that but it was justified in firing Taggart based on what we saw, right? Recruiting was struggling. That's what we brought him in for. The offense was a disaster. That's his specialty, okay? And they never looked like they were getting better. I said this to my fiance when we left the stadium. I said, wow, you know what that felt like? Virginia Tech. It felt like the same game as the Virginia Tech game, his opening game in 2018. And it's funny because i even heard the not the president but the guy who uh you know had to fire tiger and then basically make the decision he said the same thing that game felt eerily similar to virginia tech and i think that sums it up right there the entire two-year period nothing changed the offense got a little better this year scored a couple more points didn't really matter though didn't really matter clemson blew us out both years with ease they could have named their score in those games and It's over now, right? Virginia Tech and Miami were not good teams. Virginia Tech was like a 7-5 team in 2018. Miami might be an 8-4 team at the best this year, probably a 7-5 team. And they just embarrassed us, embarrassed us. 27-10 almost isn't even accurate of what it felt like, you know? We just couldn't do anything on them. And here we are now looking for another coach. So let's just get all that done and let's start looking at some of the positives okay, and where Florida State should go. Now, I have two tier, well, three tiers of coaches. I have my top three, but I kind of consider them to be sort of pipe dreams at this point, even though one of them, everybody's talking about, like it might actually happen, so we'll see. And then I have my top four guys in the realistic category that I think it's very realistic for Florida State to go after those guys. And then there's a handful of other guys. But let's just start with my top three. My top three guys... And these are I I think are kind of pipe dreams, but my top 3 guys that I would love to see get this Florida State job are James Franklin, Bob Stoops, and Brent Venables. Now, in order, I have James Franklin because he is a long-term solution on top of I think being a pretty much guaranteed success guy. This guy won games at Vanderbilt. Not only is Vanderbilt just a program with no real brand name, they play in the SEC and they have hard recruiting standards because they're a big academic school, okay? I think he has Penn State running at pretty much peak efficiency right now. Penn State isn't Ohio State. They're close, but they're doing about as good as they can do right now, and I love his energy. I think he's a great head coach. I think with the right staff, he coming to a place like Florida State would be about as close to a home run higher as you can make, right? giving what's semi-realistic. Obviously, if you could hire Nick Saban or Bill Belichick, you would, but that's absolutely unrealistic, right? And then Urban Meyer is the next best guy available, but for Florida State, that's unrealistic too. We're not even going to go after him. Now, Bob Stoops is number two for me. Even though he's more proven than Franklin, he's a little older, and he wouldn't be a long-term solution. He'd be a guy that you come in for three to five years max And try to rebuild us back into something and then do a handoff right but it's bob freaking stoops okay this guy is an amazing tracker he had oklahoma running brilliantly for about 12 to 13 years there and when he took over oklahoma they were not doing very well they were not doing very well they had they were way down by their standard he came in he won a national title really quickly should have been able to win a couple more you know he played for three more 2003 played lsu for the title 2004 played usc and 2008 played florida and then all those other years you know they were going to a a big bcs or new Year's six bowl game at worst i think there was like one year there maybe 2014 where and i think actually 2005 too if i'm not mistaken those two years they went to kind of the more subpar bowls you know like the chick like the what do you call them you know like capital one bowls holiday bowls But other than that, every single year they were either playing for a national title, winning a national title, or playing for a Fiesta Bowl or a Sugar Bowl or an Orange Bowl, right? And then he even made the college football playoff in 2015. So very good track record, and I have no doubt he would come in and recruit, turn the program around. But he's my number two choice behind Franklin simply because I think Franklin is proven enough but he would be a long-term solution, right? James Franklin would stay at Florida State and try to win as many titles as he could. Now, the Brent Venables is three because I am very skeptical at this point at hiring someone who has not been a head coach. And that's why when I get to my next four guys, which are on my realistic tier of options, I don't have any assistants on that list, none. There are some good assistants out there that would be good candidates if we can't get the guys we want, but I just don't believe in hiring someone at Florida State who's never been a head coach at a top program. I don't even really want to go after a guy who hasn't been a Power Five coach. That's why on my next list you won't see guys like the Memphis coach or Houston. You know, those I don't have any group of five coaches on there either. Um, but Brent Benables is the one coordinator that you would probably be able to take a risk on. You know, he's the Clemson defensive coordinator, been there forever. Hasn't shown any interest in leaving Clemson. That's one of the reasons why Dabo's been so successful at Clemson. Unlike Nick Saban, who has to turn over a staff year after year after year, Dabo's been able to hold on to his guys. And I think that he is the one assistant coach that it would be worth taking a risk on. But it's still, to me, even though he has all this potential, it's still very skeptical to me hiring a guy who's never been a head coach. Very sketchy to me. But... Honestly, I think all three of those guys are pipe dreams. I would be shocked if Florida State got either one of them. be super stoked, but I don't think that's happening. Now let's get into my top realistic options. And I don't really have a, a huge order to these, but let's just start with number one and the guy that makes the most sense, and I think that's Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops was Florida State's defensive coordinator as soon as Jimbo Fisher took over in 2010 through 2012. And if you remember, Florida State fans, the 2009 Florida State defense was terrible, probably worse than they've been the last couple years. I mean, the way Florida State's defense was playing at the beginning of this year, the first two to three games, that's how the 2009 defense was all year long. They were not good. Immediately, they improved in 2010. Obviously, they were bringing in big time athletes. You know the Loma Marcus Joiners, the Carlos Williams. You know big time Nigel Bradhams, right? All these guys were coming in, but they were instantly turned around in 2010, and in 2011 and 12, they were fantastic, top of the line SEC style defenses, right? The, the defenses you see Nick Saban have at Alabama, the old Les Miles defenses at LSU. That's what Florida State was in 11, 12, and also 13 under Jeremy Pruitt when they won the national title, right? solid defensive line, solid linebacker play, great defensive back play. And Mark Stoops was the guy who turned all that around. Then he gets the head coaching job at Kentucky. And what he has done at Kentucky has been very, very impressive to me. Turning them around. I mean, they, they won nine games last year in the regular season. They went nine and three. Kentucky, of all people. And they play in the SEC, kind of like what I said about James Franklin with Vanderbilt, right? This is Kentucky. They play in the SEC. They have to play all those SEC schools and they won nine games. They're getting out recruited by everybody. And they're still finding ways to win games. That that shows he's a good coach, a program builder. There's a great foundation that he laid there. Now, obviously, some of my concerns are game management with him. Especially you look at like what, like all the Florida games the last four years or so. Just kind of mismanaged those. Should have won all of those, only ended up winning one. But Mark Stoops would be an instant, culture, turnaround guy, and I think of the realistic options, he's a very, very good option. Another guy that I really like is Matt Rule at Baylor. And like I said, of all the guys on this this tier of lists right here, you know, this, this realistic option tier that I'm calling it, I go back and forth between who I like the best out of this, and to me it's either Mark Stoops or Matt Rule. Now, the reason why I like Mark Stoops dupes so this is because of all the proven stuff but he definitely isn't a guaranteed home run like he's gonna just come in and win titles and stuff we don't know that about mark soups and obviously we don't know that about matt rule either but what he's done turning around programs in short amount of times has been nothing short of amazing if you look at his track record here he took over temple in 2013 and they went two and ten terrible very next year 6 and 6 huge turnaround 2015 they're 10 and 4 7 and 1 in their conference and in 2016 they're 10 and 3 7 and 1 in their conference again so we had an overall record at temple at 28 and 23 turn that program around fast okay and remember you're talking about temple conference USA where no one really has crazy superior talent to the other right you look at south florida ucf memphis houston temple these schools all have around the same amount of talent, and that's why you really can see what these coaches are doing, right? Obviously, you know, some are better than others. UCF obviously had better guys than a lot of them the last few years, but these guys come in here, and they show what they've got on the coaching trail, you know, because you've got to win games. Kind of like what I was saying, you know, when Tiger came into FSU. Okay, you're finally on a level playing field with talent. you got to out people now. Conference USA and whoever's doing good for consistent years— is showing that they're a good X and O's football coach because talent's pretty even in that conference at the top. And if you're winning 10 games, you're doing something right. You're doing something right. Okay, then Matt Rule takes over Baylor in 2017. Baylor coming off one of the biggest sexual abuse scandals in college football history. If it wasn't for Penn State just doing the most craziest thing we've ever seen in our lifetime... This would be the worst sexual abuse scandal in college football history. Right? And when he takes over Baylor, they are 1 in 7 in 2017. Remember how bad Baylor was a couple years ago, guys? 1 in 7. 1 in 8 in the conference. Okay? Huge drop off. Baylor was running high and fly under Art Bryles, a, a, a program that had basically no history before Art Bryles came in. And all of a sudden, they're. Competing to maybe make the college football playoff, right? They're going to Fiesta Bowls. They're going to Cotton Bowls, okay? They're going 11-1 regular seasons. Just unheard of things for a school like Baylor to be doing. And then disaster strikes, and they go 1-11 in 2017. Okay, 1-11. Terrible. 2018, 7-6. Instant turnaround. Instant turnaround. And fast forward now, 2019, three years removed From a 1-11 season, they are 8-0 as we stand here today, going into like week 10 of college football. And they don't look like they're vastly superior to the teams they're playing, but to me, that's even more of a Matt Rule upside, right? He's out coaching teams. He's winning games in those final moments. Their defense is playing good. They probably have the best defense in the Big 12 right now. And... Who knows, they might lose two games down the stretch, but let's say they finish 10-2. Wow. From 1-11 to 10-2 in a three-year period at Baylor. Okay? This isn't Ohio State, USC, University of Florida, one of these schools where you can just come in and win that fast. This is Baylor, a program that had no history, at least no history of doing anything good before Art Bryles took over. Now, my next guy is also a Big 12 guy, and that is Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Really like what he's done at Iowa State, and again, almost even more than Baylor because because of what Art Briles did, Baylor does kind of have sort of a small history now, but Iowa State has really been known for nothing other than, what, losing to Iowa most years? Um, they've just been a completely inferior Big 12 school. Now, they did have that one run with Seneca Wallace back in 2002. Florida State fans, you might remember, in the 2002 um, kickoff classic, we played them in Arrowhead Stadium. And we got a huge lead, and Seneca Wallace actually almost led a comeback. And then Seneca Wallace went on to be a backup for the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL. A little bit of history for you. But Iowa State has... Never really been anything in college football. I mean, at least not as long as I can remember. I've been watching a long time, and you know I dive into the history of games. And when I'm going through seasons and editing all my games for my hard drive, all these ranked versus ranked matchups, really never see Iowa State in there. But the last couple years, you've been seeing them pop up on your radar as they knock off teams like Oklahoma, right? As they, they get ranked and they compete for Big 12 titles. Well, somebody's coaching them, and that guy is Matt Campbell. So let's talk about him for a second. Matt Campbell took over the Toledo program at the very end of the 2011 season and just coached their bowl game which they won. And then they were pretty good most of his tenure there. 2012 they went 9 and 4 and they lost the Potato Bowl. 2013 they went 7 and 5, didn't make a bowl. 2014, 9 and 4, and then 2015 they went 9 and 2. So he had a 35 and 15 record at Toledo which is what got him the Iowa State job. And he took over a program that wasn't doing very well in Iowa State. And in 2016, his first year, they go 3-9. and nine. Not that good. Well, immediately the next year, 2017, they go 8-5. and five. And they finish fourth in the Big 12, win the Liberty Bowl. 2018, they go 8-5 and five again right? So in 2017, they also had a big win. I think they upset Oklahoma that year. And at the time, it was looking like not a good loss for Oklahoma, but then Iowa State ended up being pretty good, right? They're getting shootouts with a lot of these teams, really good offense. And uh, in 2018, like I said, 8-5. and five. Right now, they're sitting at 5-3. and three. So they're doing pretty good. And just like Rule, he's a young, up-and-coming guy. So I think he has a pretty good track record. Like I said, Rule's my favorite on this list, and him and Mark Stoops, but uh, I still have Matt Campbell on this list as a realistic option. And then the other guy that I have on this is PJ Fleck from Minnesota. Now, I think a lot of people have Fleck a lot higher because he you know, did the whole, I took a team to the um, New Year's Six Bowl with uh, Western Michigan before I got my Minnesota job, and he does turnaround programs. I mean, if you're looking at it, his first year at Western Michigan, 1-11, and you know, and then 2014, 8-5, 15, 8-5, 16, 13-1 with a 13-0 regular season. They go to the Cotton Bowl against a team that's obviously way better than them talent-wise in Wisconsin, and they keep that game close. So crazy good thing that he did at Western Michigan. Then you jump over. He gets the Minnesota job, 5-7 and his first year in 2017, and then they immediately flipped that to 7-6. and six. And then right now, they're sitting at 8-0 here in 2019. And I don't think they can beat Penn State this weekend. I'll talk about that on the other episode of the pod this week. But And they'll, maybe they even dropped that Wisconsin game. But they could go 10-2. and two. I mean, when was the last time Minnesota won 10 games? I have no idea. But this guy, in three years, has got Minnesota, a middling Big Ten program with no big-time recruits, He's got them sitting at the chance to have a 10. I mean, right now, technically, they have a chance to make the playoff, right? In my who's alive list, Minnesota's on it because they're undefeated. A lot of people don't think that's going to happen, which makes sense. I don't think it will either. But they're playing Penn State this weekend, and it's going to be a big game. We'll see what they're made of because they're playing a really good team. And then, of course, they have that game against Wisconsin at the end of the year. I think they might still have to play Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. So, Or maybe they beat Iowa already. I'm not sure. I don't have the schedule in front of me. But... Those are my top realistic options. Now, other than Mark Stoops, my one skeptical thing I'll say about these other guys, obviously Matt Rule's in Texas, but then you got Campbell and Fleck. They're both Midwest guys. I don't know if they could come and recruit Florida, but again, it's one of those things, like look look what Dan Mullen did when he took over Florida. He, did, he got out-recruited by Tiger, on paper at least, but they had an immediate turnaround. Sometimes that culture and skill at the head coaching position and what they bring in is more important than recruiting right Ron Zook was a great recruiter at Florida you know he basically recruited a roster that would end up winning a national title under Urban but they needed a guy like Urban to change the culture and then they won the title right so and it's funny because I I said this all the time when we hired Taggart. I said I really hope he doesn't become our Ron Zook well it was so bad that Taggart didn't even have the chance to become even a Ron Zook at Florida State so just absolute dumpster fire that happened it's unfortunate because i really like taggart but again going back to my realistic options list i really like Matt rule really like mark stoops the reason i have fleck like i was saying kind of at the bottom of that list is because i just don't think he's proven it long enough you know at the end of the day would it really be much different than another taggart and florida state just can't afford to miss this one or they at least can't afford to take a huge risk i mean any guy's a risk right you're Anytime you change coaches, you are taking a risk. But to me, P.J. Fleck would be just like another Willie Taggart-type risk where, yeah, he turned around a group of five school, and he is at a D1 school, been at a a Power 5 school, been at that Power 5 school longer than Oregon had Taggart. But I don't know, and I love his personality. I freaking love Row the Boat, but sometimes those guys only work at either a group of five school or a smaller um, power five school and sometimes those personalities just don't mesh well at the top tier level, right? Something about those personalities and top five recruits sometimes just don't go well together. I'm not saying that he he wouldn't work good at a big time school. i just saying I haven't seen enough evidence yet. Preferably I'd like to see him do another year or two at Minnesota before someone came in and took him but that's not the situation that we're in. Um, so, yeah, who, who knows, right? Now, there are some other guys out there that I would like, that I would have on this list, and they're unrealistic, not because they're pipe dreams, but because I just don't see them leaving their schools. One of those guys is Scott Satterfield. I think he's awesome. I mean, what he's doing at Louisville in just one year after they went 2-10 and 10 last year is awesome, but I don't think he's going to leave Louisville after just the one year, even though, hey, Tagger did leave Oregon after one year. So there's him. I also really like What Dave Clawson is doing at Wake Forest, right? I mean, of all the schools I've just talked about that some of these coaches were turning around, I mean, Wake Forest is six and they might—they're going to be seven and one. They are seven and one, right? I mean, they're alive for the ACC. We don't think they're going to be Clemson, but I mean, geez, I mean, that's impressive. Winning at Wake Forest—it's like winning at Vanderbilt. They just don't care about football there. But I, I just don't know how realistic that is that he would really consider it either. So. There are other guys out there, but those are my two lists, the different tiers, you know, the pipe dream list and then the realistic option list. And right now what I'm going to do is bring on uh, TJ Pittenger from the Big Three Roll-Up. I'm, you're going to hear my interview with him. Um, for those that don't know, he is one of the hosts of the Big Three Roll-Up, which is a podcast that specifically talks about the Big Three in Florida, a.k.a. Florida State, Florida, and Miami. And he's a big Florida State guy. A little controversial there on Twitter, some of them like to say, but uh, he's a good guy, and uh, you're going to hear my interview with him right now. All right, and now we're bringing on TJ Pittenger from the Big Three Roll-Up podcast out here in Florida. TJ, what's going on, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Just trying to wrap my head around everything that went down. I went to the Miami game with my fiancé, and it was funny. I was telling her right when we were walking out, we actually were here for the the Virginia Tech game, his opener. And I told her, I said, wasn't that just like the Virginia Tech game? And then it was funny to hear the, um, the, the, not the president, but, you know, the guy basically say in the interview about when he had to fire Tiger that it felt similar to that game. And basically, you know, nothing's changed since day one and they made the move. And here we are looking for another football coach. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, if you if you look at that Virginia Tech game until now, like you said, you know, I think we looked a little bit the score was better against against Miami than was against Virginia Tech, but like we dominated that Virginia Tech game. Like we had more yardage, we had better time of possession, we we really held them down. And if it wasn't for our incompetence, our turnovers, blocked punts, not being able to line up. I mean, we really, you know, you don't look at many twenty-four to three losses and and say we we should have won that game, but we really should have won that game. And then, you know, you also look at the game against Miami. I mean, we just couldn't get anything going, and I, I think we regressed. You know, over the twenty-one games, I think we were getting worse. The offense improved, the defense was was, was definitely worse since since the opening game. So. Yeah, but what a whirlwind these last few days have been! It it, it kind of feels crazy, mean, we're talking Tuesday afternoon here, um, but from the game on Saturday to the firing on Sunday to the rumor
0: mill yesterday and today, I mean, it's 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 been nuts. It's fun though. Yeah, no, it it is fun. It's it's almost like one thing to make this season kind of fun again is we're looking for a football coach, and it's crazy that Florida State, this giant branded big program this job hasn't really come open very often. You know. There was a transition from Bowden to Jimbo, so it wasn't like there was an opening there. And then the thing with Tiger, it all happened so fast, and now here we are, the Florida State job is open. And there's going to be a mad scramble, obviously, but I like that we did it when we did because, and I think that going forward, you're going to see a lot of other programs get rid of coaches after two years. It's annoying that we have to be the first one, and we'll probably get some flack for that. But with the new signing period, you know, in December now, I think you have to try to get a guy in here way sooner than what would have been like if you waited till after the Florida game, for example, right? Like that's what happened with Jimbo. And even though Willie did kind of do a good job, you know, when he recruited there in that, those couple weeks, it just, you want to get out ahead of that. And I think the future of college football is going to be more situations like this because of that.
1: I think it also is really, really important to note that The administration in any school, and speaking specifically on Florida State in this situation, they want to see some kind of progress being made, right? Like, that's truthfully why Taggart only got the two years. If Taggart had just a bunch of freshmen playing right now and guys that were just inexperienced, but the product was looking like it was improving, and he could point to some studs on the offensive line or, you know, whatever through the JUCO ranks or through the recruiting ranks, and, and be able to say, hey, here's my plan, here's where we're improving, um, I, I think that would have bought him more time. Like I think that would have bought him a third year. But when you look at what Florida State's about to lose, and I've said this both on um, my Peak to Pit podcast, I've said this on the Big Three Roll, when, when you look at what we're about to lose from Cam Akers, Marvin Wilson, probably Tamori and Terry, and other Jimbo guys – we're not replacing them. We don't have anybody on the offensive line committed that I have any confidence in. That's such a crap shoot. And so he really doesn't have that. And so, the and then, you know, you not to totally go on the bash Taggart train, which I've, I've been on for a while, but you talked about that class that he did sign in 2018 when he first got here. We're not getting a lot of production out of a lot of those guys. A lot of them have never seen the field. A lot of them kind of had question marks and injured? Yeah, and it looks like there might be reasons that other programs weren't touching those guys, and so um, you know I, I think that just all things considered, you know they they just don't see things turning around, and you know in talking with. Um, I do the peak to pick podcast with Allie peak. With talking with her. I completely agree with this. If something is eventually going to be done, whether it's in coaching a relationship, work, whatever, if you know it's going to eventually be done, you may as well just do it now. And, and so that's kind of what I think happened with,
0: with Taggart being let go. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, we all have those high school girlfriends that you knew you were going to break up with, but you just didn't <laughs> feel like getting around to it. And the more you drag it out, the the worse it is, right? You're breaking someone's heart longer, and it's just, why not get it over with? So I know you're only on, like, what, eight more minutes. So let's jump into potential candidates. What I've done is I've broken my thing down into two tiers. I've got my top three guys, but I kind of consider him pipe dreams. And then I've got my realistic options, about four guys. On the pipe dream list, I have James Franklin. He's my number one from Penn State. I kind of wish we would have got him last cycle. Then I got Bob Stoops. And then I have Brent Venables. Now, I'm skeptical with Venables because I just – I don't think we should go after anybody who hasn't been a head coach. But all three of those guys I'd be stoked for, I guess, in the long run. And then my realistic options that I'd be pretty happy with, I got Mark Stoops. I got Matt Rule, who's my favorite on this list. I got Matt Campbell. And then PJ Fleck, who's my least favorite on this list. I know there's a lot of other guys. Like I really love the Louisville coach, but I just don't see him leaving after one year, even though I guess Tiger did that with Oregon. But – I don't know. What do you think of that list that I've compiled? So,
1: I I mean, I like both of them, and I agree with you on your realistic list. I, I think P.J. Flex lasts there, and it also sounds like, you know, I've seen some reports today um, that Minnesota is really trying to lock him up to something kind of long-term, um, so that might not even be realistic soon, right? Like if he saw, signs a big contract extension, it, it kind of shows that, that's what he's looking to do. We wouldn't be able to afford the buyout anyway. Um, I like Stoops. I think he'd he'd provide some um, – I, I mean, he's got some familiarity. He's doing good things in Kentucky. It's obviously not as exciting or splash hire like his brother would be. Um, you know, I – who else did you mean? Rule, I like him. I think he'd be great. I don't know if that will happen or not. I've heard, you know, he may be looking for a bigger job. Um, who is your fourth one on the realistic candidates Matt Matt Campbell, Iowa state? Yeah, I think Matt Campbell would be good too. Um, so I'd be, I'd be cool with any of those. And then, uh, you know, my pipe dream list is, you know, I mean the pipe dream of all pipe dreams is urban Meyer. I mean, I know there's a less than 1% chance of that. Um, I I think Les Miles would be great. I think Bob Stoops would be great. Uh, and then you mentioned James Franklin. I think he'd be absolutely fantastic too. Um, What's tough there is that if they beat Ohio State next week, I mean they're they're going to go win the Big Ten, you know. So, um, yeah. he's not leaving after that, you know. After they go, you know. So, uh, you would kind of need a uh, Ohio State to beat them, which which I think they will. I mean, I know we're talking not talking about like on on game predictions right now, but I think Ohio State will win. But then you need them to drop like one or two more, right? Like drop like do they play Minnesota, uh, drop a Wisconsin or just whoever they play. And then Are you maybe... saying that the
0: standpoint of uh, if they win the Big Ten, we just won't be able to get him in time because he'll be focused on winning a national title? Are you saying that if they do good this year, then he just wouldn't leave Penn State regardless? Because I honestly think because he's my favorite, I'd be willing to wait till whenever he could come here. Even if it meant the worst recruiting class this cycle, I just think he's that good. And the reason I like him is because he fits all those criteria. He's obviously been a head coach at Vanderbilt. Now at Penn State, a high program has them rolling – to the best they've been. Also, he took over after their scandal. Also, unlike Bob Stoops, and the reason I have him a tier above, even though Bob Stoops is probably a better proven coach, Bob Stoops isn't a long term solution where James Franklin not only has the juice that a Bob Stoops hire would have, but is also a long term solution type guy too. Yeah, so that's why so, I in number one.
1: So yes, I would be okay even if it meant completely sacrificing this class. Um I would be okay. Waiting for Franklin, if you knew that he was going to be the guy, here's the issue. If he wins the big 10 or if they beat Ohio state next week um, and they're going to the big 10, if they win the big 10, like he's going to the playoff, we wouldn't be able to make a move until January. And I, I, I don't know that we can risk that, right? Like you have to know beyond a shadow of it. Like he almost has to sign a contract before, you know, any of that happens because we can't wait around until January. I mean, at that yeah, point we just have to make Odell the coach and kind of go with the origin on model. Right. Which, yep. you know, I'm not really suggesting is something I think we should realistically do, but that's the thing about Franklin is, I mean, hopefully all house just beats them. So we don't have to wait until then.
0: Um, Even so, I mean, People are talking about, you know, the loser of Alabama, Clemson getting in the playoff. And if you listen to my show at all, you know my whole shtick is I don't like that type of talk. But I think the loser of that Ohio State-Penn State game has just as much of an argument, maybe even more, than an Alabama would. So, yeah, you're right. It just – you never know. Either way, even if he doesn't win that game and doesn't make the playoff, they're they're probably going to the Rose Bowl or something. And he'd want to coach through that. So, yeah, you're right. I don't know how those contracts would work. But he would have to basically say, I'm leaving next year but I'm finishing out kind of like what Scott Frost did at UCF, right? Where he was like, I'm going to Nebraska, but I'm coaching this bowl game. We're going to go be at Auburn type of thing, right? And And I I don't know how realistic that is.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a little bit different than, you know, I I just think with the higher profile jobs, like I I just don't – it's a little bit different doing that to Penn State and doing it to UCF where UCF has no option but to let you do that, I mean – Penn State's not letting you know. Penn State's going to say, "No, man, you're either here or you're not." You know, like you're not as big as this program is. So I don't, I don't know if it's as realistic. I agree with you though. Uh, this is not coaching at all, and um, you know, but I, I agree with you on the fact that Penn State has every bit of a, as much of a right to be in it if they lose to Ohio State by like three or something uh, as Alabama does or anybody else, but. Just because of the name recognition, like I don't think the the committee is gonna, you know, play favorites. Not play favorites, but have that same kind of uh, grace that they'll give uh, uh, an Alabama or an LSU because of the SEC. Not saying I agree with that, but I'm just that's kind of my take on it. I agree that they deserve it, but I don't think it'll happen. I think they really need to win, just because. I, mean, I think Clemson's in. I think Alabama's or LSU is in. Like,
0: it's going to be tough for them to get back up. But anyway, we'll see. Definitely. I mean, wh- but then it's like, couldn't you make that same argument with a lot of these other sitting coaches? I mean, Bob St- Mark Stoops, I think, makes the most sense to just leave because I think Kentucky might be on what their fourth loss already, maybe fifth or whatever. They're not doing as good as last year. But like Matt Rule or Campbell or Fleck, would any of them? be able to leave like when we would like, when would we want our guy to come in? Like, let's say we get a Matt rule or a Matt Campbell or PJ Fleck or even Stoops. Like, are they going to come in next week if we hire them or are they going to finish out at least their regular seasons at their sitting schools? That's another thing I I don't really know about.
1: I think almost all of them are going to just finish out the regular season. Um, You know, they're going to, if they're willing to leave a program, you know, emotionally they may want their team to um win that bowl game but they're going to care a lot more about setting themselves up for success at their new program than their old team winning the bowl game especially with the new signing day thing correct if it was a signing day in early february those extra two weeks though important are not as crucial so it Let's say, let's say it's Mark Stoops. If Mark Stoops and Florida State agree, Mark Stoops's agent is able to work all that, and they agree to a deal, he will. It'll be announced toward the end of that last rivalry week. He'll say he's going to finish out that game, and then it'll go. But I mean, you see different coaches do different things, right? Like Jimbo's situation, he. Left after the last regular season game. I mean, obviously we had the reschedule against ULM, which wouldn't have typically been there. So Jimbo yeah. just left before the bowl game. Um, you know, which is pretty standard. Look at Taggart last year; he finished out the regular season. Well, it all kind of happened at the end of the regular season. So I think Florida State just wanted to be able to jump on the coaching surge. I don't think it's a problem. If we don't make a hire, and you know, for the next two or so weeks, two three weeks, you know, we need to have a hire in place by the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday after Thanksgiving, right? After we play Florida, we need to have something in place within four or five days, and I think we will probably even sooner than that. Like I think something will be in place fairly soon, and if it's one of these guys we've mentioned that's not coaching, you know it'll be this
0: week next. Yeah, that's what the Bob Stoops thing might. Comes into play, right? Because he's—I mean, I guess he's in the CFL, but it's not the same thing.
1: Yeah. So, well, he's currently with the XFL, but kind of the same right. idea. But oh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. If you know, there's a lot of rep- reports going back and forth that the FSU admin, like as we're taping this, is saying that he is a um, he is a candidate. Herb Street and some other people that would come out today saying that he's not a candidate. You know, so it, it's kind of going back and forth. But, uh, which is not weird at all, right? Like every candidate that's ever gotten a job has said like, no, no, I'm not, excuse me, not considering that. Um, so I don't really worry about that at all, but, um, yeah, no, I think that, uh, I think that if it is him, if there is any way to go get him, you know, I think it, it happens by the end of this week. If, if, if we have a coach by Friday, I think it's Bob Stoops. If we don't have a coach by Friday, you know, I think that he's officially out of it because I think that's our our big play right now.
0: Gotcha. Well, all right, man. I know you got to get going here, so really enjoyed having you on, and let's hopefully do this again sometime soon.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for inviting me on. Um, you have a good rest of the afternoon. I can't wait for to listen. Can't wait to listen to the rest of the episode. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, bud.
0: Well, there you have it. That was my inter- interview with uh, TJ Pittinger, co-host of the big three roll up and the peak to pit podcast you can check him out there and that's all i have for you guys today regarding the florida state situation hope you enjoyed it and i'll see you later this week with my actual podcast breaking down um the matchups and my who's alive list and everything going forward as far as the college football playoff is concerned see you later